Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara and I am alongside Julie Shields Rutina from MIFA today. Still with us, Julie, right? Yes, I am. I can see you. Just want to make sure I can hear you. All right. We are talking college savings here. And I think we're going to later on in the show, we, I think we want to spend a bunch of time on financial aid because I know that's a big part of, of everyone's thinking about college. And then we'll spend some time on student loans and student loan options. I think I do want to finish up college savings, though. We mostly got through the 529 universe and the options there. But there are certainly other savings savings options that, that you can get into here. And so I want to at least touch on those, even though I know that for most folks, if you're saving, it's probably in a 529, but certainly it's not the only option out there. Let's do, why don't you, I know you mentioned an ABLE account, which is something that I'm not all that from. You tend, when an advisor can't be in, intimately involved on an account, we tend to not have quite the knowledge base on it like I do on a 529 plan. So why don't you talk a bit about ABLE accounts and we'll just go through those. I don't know how much, I don't know how long it'll take, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's great. And I can be brief. So ABLE accounts are newer and they actually okay. come out of that same tax code there. So they're called 529A accounts. Okay. Okay. Yep. And, but they are accounts for individuals with disabilities. So for example, maybe someone who may or may not have college in their future, but still needs a way to to be able to save for financial independence and save yeah. without with some tax benefits. So the the attainable is the Massachusetts ABLE account. Okay. And but again, like 529 plans, many states have ABLE accounts. And what you do is you set that up similarly to how we were talking about 529 plans, yeah. and then you can save regularly or once in a while, and your money in that account again, is growing tax-free, tax-deferred or tax-free. And then if you take it out and use it for qualified expenses, it is never, there's never any tax on the earnings. Now, the big difference here is that in ABLE accounts, those qualified expenses are really broad. Yeah. So ABLE actually stands for a better life experience. So really any expenses for an individual with a disability to be able to save for health, housing, uh, equipment, technical assistance, education, really a broad range of anything that's going to make that person's life better. Now, the key is you need to have a disability, a qualified disability. Yeah. And that disability onset has to have happened prior to the age of 26 as the current regulations go. Okay. But this just really opens up, opens up a lot for someone with a disability to be able to save. And the other nice benefit, maybe better, besides just the tax benefit, is that in the past, prior to the ABLE Act, sometimes an individual with a disability could not save more than $2,000 before affecting very important benefits 
like SSI and Medicaid. Right. And so this these accounts allow an individual to save up to $100,000 before SSI would be suspended. And even more than that, so they can save much more than that and not have it taken away or anything like that. So there are just both tax benefits and benefits of not losing other benefits. Yeah. So really can allow for an individual with a disability to, to save for their future, become financially independent, and can either open the account themselves or they can have another person open the account for them. And that person would be the person with signature authority and able to do all of the transactions on the account. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a, from my point of view, it's a great benefit. Obviously we have those discussions with clients and pre-able, you were, you were essentially discouraged from saving because there are government benefits that are based on, that are needs-based. And so if you were, so you were essentially discouraged from saving and the only alternative was you could do all this. Let's just say you can do similar things with the use of trusts. But not everyone has, and I, let's just say, we'll say thousands of dollars, right? I don't want to price it exactly, on you know, air quotes, special needs trust. But you certainly could do that kind of thing. But if it was, you had to sit with a lawyer, you had to, you know, at some level of saving, it became really not worth it. But in this case, I assume the program costs are very reasonable. You can open up the account and you're not starting in a big hole as far as your cost. And you can, so if you want to save a very modest amount of money, then it's still worth it for you to do. Whereas in the past pre-ABLE, it it probably wasn't, which is why you didn't see a lot of saving for folks who couldn't save significant amounts of money or didn't have one inheritance or stuff like that. Certainly, I think it's a great program. And so it's, is it, would you just go through, is it like through MIFA that where people would find information about it or would they go in a Fidelity? Is it a Fidelity program as well, I assume? Yeah, it is. So it's a similar, it's MIFA's program and Fidelity manages this for yeah. us here in Massachusetts. So you could go to mifa.org slash attainable okay. or fidelity.com slash attainable and either one will give you lots of information about okay. These accounts. The one thing I'll add, since we're talking about college savings here, is if a family has a 529 plan for for an individual and figures out at some point, I don't think my child is going to go to college, you can roll that into an attainable account. So that's okay. 529 can be rolled into an able account, which is wonderful. Oh, that is wonderful. No penalty. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, you may if you started early and disability shows up later in life, that's that's a great benefit. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So that's able. Yeah, I guess we'll just touch briefly on you don't need you can save money for college outside of the dedicated college savings vehicles. Right. You can certainly save in your own name. Right. So if let's just say husband and wife and they want to save for college, you can just save it in your joint account, your joint brokerage account. You can save in a UTMA account. Right. You have the kids bank accounts. Most people are familiar with the kid has a bank account and I'm the custodian but it's for their benefit. You can use that structure as well. And I guess it's mostly the discussion that we have with clients is just the flexibility that that saving outside of the 529s does give you, right? If you're if you're if you're uncertain on whether or not you're going to use that money 
for college. And the discussion that I have with home, with most clients is if you assume you have more than one kid, then, you know, you're probably going to have some education expenses in your future. Again, not for everybody, but I rarely talk anyone out of a 529 plan because I say, look, the reality is we've been doing this for a long time and 529s have been around for a long time. I haven't had anyone over saving a 529 yet. And so it's probably not going to happen, but that's not to say that it won't. So, I mean, there is some more flexibility and you can always save money in your own investment account. And if you need it for college, you can take it out. You are subject to taxes, child custodial accounts like the UTMA world. They they do have some tax benefits that come along with them for, for smaller. They're just, I guess they're more tax efficient than a, than a plan that would be a joint investment plan for a husband and wife, but, but they're still taxable on an ongoing basis and maybe downside, they do eventually transfer into the kid's name. So I don't know if I missed anything there or if you want to add to it, but I just, I don't want to, if you're saving for college, you do not have to use a dedicated vehicle. But I think in most cases, I would say certainly in the average case, it's probably going to be worth your while to use at least some 529 assets. And we certainly see folks who are splitting their savings and saying, I'm going to save most of my money here in a 529, but I'm also going to hedge my bets a little bit by saving some outside of my joint account. And, oh, I think my cash flow is going to be great by the time college hits because I'll have my mortgage paid off. And so I'm, I don't need to save all that necessarily in a dedicated account. Am I good yeah. there? Nothing. Yeah, I would only add one one piece because yeah. all of what you said is absolutely perfect. And there are so many reasons that people make other choices. Just one thing to note that in that financial aid formula that we're probably going to talk about, yep. I gave you the number that parent assets are treated at that 5.6% rate. Student assets like those in an UGMA or UTMA, yep. UGMA account are treated at more like 20 to 25%. Right. So that's not a reason not to do it if it whatever fits into a person's a family's financial situation but just something to note right that, that those assets in the student's name will be treated at a slightly higher expectation that's right. Yeah. yeah. And so certain that's obviously a, yeah, a a great consideration, right? And there are, and as we go through, and I think we'll try to go through some of the, like the formulas here for some folks, if you're, I think there are some folks who aren't going to get any financial aid. If you're particularly well off, then the financial aid discussion, maybe it doesn't matter all that much to you, but yeah, there's a lot of folks there who, when you're comparing these assets, right? You're certainly, if you're in a range where you will qualify for some financial aid, you would much rather have hundred thousand dollars in a 529 plan than you would have in a UTMA account because that those numbers get very substantially different. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. That's a big consideration for lots and lots of folks. And I know we'll probably get into that in our next uh, in our next segment here. All right. Do you think we covered college savings well enough? I think summarize, I would say start early and it will be worth it and in some way it's you you won't regret yeah and again anecdotal but i've never had any regret the college whatever savings account they had no one ever said oh man i wish i hadn't saved all this money because i'm losing out on my financial aid it really it doesn't it's not a thing that happens at least in my experience so start early and it will be worth it for you and uh, if you have any questions you can check out the mifa website or call your advisor yeah, absolutely. In my experience of literally working with thousands and thousands of families yeah. is the same. I've never had anyone say, I wish I hadn't saved. In fact, people say, I wish I saved a little more. But, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a much more common regret. Yeah. <laughs> and can uh, I give the MIFA website? I just didn't absolutely. say it up front. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I don't think you did say it. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. MIFA.org. Okay. Just because it really is a wealth of information about everything. So yeah, good place and, for people to check out. 
Okay. And then again, probably a lot of generic information, I assume as well, not, not just specific to you fund, you plan. And we're not just talking about, Oh, this is here are three accounts. It's more, I assume it's more broad than that and educational given your mission as a, as an organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right. Should we get into financial aid? So we, if we got through our college savings and you know, now it's time to apply for financial aid, or should we start with, I don't know, the college application process? Where should we transition to next? So I'll let you pick. Yeah, let's let's start with applying for financial aid because okay. I think that's key. But I'll, I will also talk a little bit about creating that list of colleges where you're going to apply to, where the student's going to apply, because that that factors in a little bit. Okay. So I guess I'll say that all happens senior. Right. And it seems to happen when the student is a senior, right when they start in the fall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, okay. it's a whirlwind. So anything that can be done earlier than that, okay. all of that ad- admissions work about writing essays and requesting recommendations from teachers, anything that can be done ahead of time yeah. will make that fall a little easier. But a big important part of the process then is the student making a list of colleges that they would like to attend and that they think they're going to apply. And I a key with that that ends up having some financial implications, I think, is creating a really a balanced list. They do that for admissions anyway, their school that they really would like to go to, but maybe they're thinking their grades are not quite up to it, but they're still going to reach for that one. Yeah. And uh, colleges that they're definitely going to get into, but they should add the financial piece to that to make sure there's a balanced list of colleges where they know they can afford it okay. or maybe have an option for commuting or at least have done one of those calculators and see that there's a lot of financial aid. There. And there is a lot of merit based aid at colleges, the only group of colleges that sort of doesn't have that is the Ivy Leagues and those that compete with the Ivy Leagues. But the rest of the colleges usually have some merit component to the okay. grants and scholarships that they award. And so if someone it falls really high in that admissions pool at a college, meaning usually it's grades, it can be sports and music yeah. and those things, too. But if a student has really high grades from high school and really falls high in that admissions pool, they can put themselves in line for some merit-based aid. So that's the main point I wanted to make there. And so that might mean a student could be in the middle of one at one college and be at the top in another. And so have a couple of those different options on your list to okay. see what financial aid then comes back for you. Yeah, yeah, ranges of schools in not in not only in the the level of competitiveness of entry, but also in the cost structure, right? Yeah, because yeah, as a kid, you don't really it's maybe not top of mind for you, right? It's great if your particular child is worried about mom and dad's checkbook, but I don't know that's all that common. But okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's another point that you bring up. Parent and student have those discussions. Sometimes it's it's hard to talk about money. Yeah. As parents, we ask our kids. About about grades and how they're doing in school and what activities, but to have those conversations about let's make a good decision here for all of us and you do your part, we'll do our part, harder to have, but it's good if you can be having those conversations as as those years. So then other than that, we do encourage most families to apply for financial aid. There is some thought out there sometimes that I'm probably not going to get any anyway, so why apply? But The truth is it doesn't hurt to apply once, go for it. So that's what we would say. And that process then happens anytime after October in the student's senior year, because the main financial aid forms open up on October 1st. Okay. 
And the main form is the FAFSA. It's yeah. a free application for federal student aid. And maybe myth number two at MIFA is, oh, it's a terrible form. It's so much to do. <laughs> That's it's, what I was just going to say. That, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hopefully they may, maybe they've been, maybe they've been streamlining it over the years. Yeah. They have. You, they you, actually have. Some, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I've had some people say to me this year, that wasn't that bad. Okay. It's not just me saying it. <laughs> I just want to circle back. Yeah. Just to be clear, merit aid is going to be different from financial aid in that, right. It's, you're not necessarily applying for it. It's the kind of thing that would just be given by the school. It's a separate process where you might say, if I go to this particular school, which I could get into maybe i'll use air quotes better school but i'm going to go to this other lower end school man i'm i'm not using the right terminology here but i think everyone's following along then i may get more money from the college just in order to go there on a merit base and it doesn't have anything to do with the fafsa or anything like that is that correct correct okay just checking on that all right so yeah the fact and what's the other so there's another form as well what's the name of that one so every college requires the fafsa you have to do the fafsa okay that's the easier one and then some colleges (laughs) require the cs profile so that's of the college board Okay. That colleges that have a lot of their own grant and scholarship dollars need more information. So the FAFSA, as I mentioned, has been streamlined. It's pretty simple these days. Okay. And so, for example, the FAFSA doesn't ask a family any questions about your primary residence, about the home that you live in, what it's worth, what's owed on it. So the CSS profile asks additional questions and does ask those questions about your home, about your business. Right. So anyway, if a college requires both forms, then you do need to do both. And the key is you want to do them by, by the deadline, the earliest deadline of the schools that you're applying to. Okay. okay. Like an early admission deadline. deadline. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So schools can have all kinds of deadlines with their early Admissions programs, sometimes they're November 1st, November 15th, December 1st, or if students are applying regular decision, they could be January 15th, February 1st, like that. But if you have even one school on your list that has that November 1st deadline or November 15th, just get the forms done in October so that then you just don't worry about it. First of all, you'll feel much better having them done and then you'll meet every deadline. Okay. And, yeah, and I just want to circle back. I don't know if we'll catch it in the next in our next segment here, but the CSS profile tab again. I'm sorry, form. It's for colleges that tend to have larger endowments, so they may be putting their own money out there, and so they're just asking for more information. I'll just just make this generic here. You could, in theory, live in a twenty million dollar house, and maybe mom and dad run a business together, and the year before their business maybe had a loss. I think that's what they're trying to get at, right? Normally, they make ten million dollars a year on average, but uh, that time that they fill out the FAFSA that one year oh, was a lousy business year. And all of a sudden, hey, we don't have any money, right? Or, or all of our money's in 401ks and it's all tied up. And look, we have no income. So let's hand out the financial aid, right? Not in, a, not in like a dishonest kind of way necessarily, but that's the kind of thing that they're trying to catch with the CSS profile. I think, I assume that's an okay generic comment. Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's exactly okay. All right. We are just about, I don't know if there's much else we can get to before the break. Okay, so let me, I will wrap it up here and we'll jump into more financial aid stuff and student loans after the break. We're talking to Julie Shields Rutina from MIFA at MIFA.org. If you have any questions, you can shoot us an email at questions at McNamaraonmoney.com and we will be right back. 
This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Julie Shields Rutina from MIFA. We are talking college savings, college payment, student loans, financial aid, all kinds of all kinds of good stuff here. Every I think we do this every year where I have this tiny one page outline and I say, oh man, are we going to be able to get through two hours here? And of course, we're an hour and a half in and I'm like, oh man, we got to step on the gas here because we still have to get through financial aid and, and college loans. Let's. Uh, I know we, we started the financial aid process with filling out the FAFSA. So you're, it's October of senior year here and and they start filling out those the FAFSA forms what happens after i know we have there are there are certainly strategies that you can work i don't know how i don't know how much detail you want to get into on each of that because we have award letters and all that good stuff to talk about as well what happens after the FAFSA let's let's put it that way. Maybe we should just take it in chronological order. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way. Yeah. So then you complete these forms and I'll just say there's lots of help. Don't sit out there and suffer. Don't be afraid of them. Just start the forms and you (laughs) can go to fafsa.gov. That's where you find the FAFSA and cssprofile.org to find the CSS profile. Just sit down and attempt it all and then write down your questions. And if you have questions, you can always call MIFA, email MIFA, We do this all, this is the time of year we're doing it. We're answering all kinds of questions. So don't just cross, check the task off your list. And then the information that you put on those forms will be sent to the colleges. And then the colleges will work to create a financial aid off if your student is going to be admitted. So they won't work on it until they know that your student is going to be admitted. Then they will work to create a financial aid offer for the student based on number one, the merit piece we talked about, number two, all of the information on the financial aid forms, and they'll create an aid offer and send that to you soon after your student is admitted. So I say that because this process has gotten a little earlier. Lots of students are applying in the fall to some of those early admissions. And But they know, the colleges know, you need to know the financial piece before yep. you can make a decision. They will send that to you. And then most, except for some unique programs like early decision, that kind of thing, in general, you just can assess all of that, compare all of those aid offers, and make a decision by May 1st, which is the national decision deadline. So hopefully you'll be collecting admissions yeah. offers financial aid offers. And usually they include, hope they include all of the types of aid, grants and scholarships, the best kind that's just awarded to the student. Yeah. The student doesn't pay. But then also work study programs can be great where the student will be able to work when they're a student. And that's that money that they can use for personal expenses, transportation, maybe some books, shampoo, pizza, but to have money while they're a student. So that's a great program. And then student loans. And we'll talk a little more about that. But the federal, the very specific type, which is the federal student loan, which is the loan to the student. So an aid offer hopefully includes a lot of those types of aid. 
Okay. Yeah. And so, okay. So just so the yeah. process starts. Yeah. And I just want to get a, the process starts in October and then we wrap up by maybe as late as May 1st. So we're talking yeah. about certainly a, a process that we're going through. When, if we take out the early decision piece of it, if I just want to make generic comments about what happens at what time. So it's, you get to October, you start filling out your financial aid forms and I, I, applying for colleges is in that same ballpark. So the first part of the of, of senior year. And when do, when, again, I and I know it's, I'm sure it's all over the map with colleges. If you had to make a guess at an average, when do sort of acceptance letters start coming in? What time of year is that? Yeah. So if students apply early admissions to some of those November admissions deadlines. Okay. Yeah. So some of it can be wrapped up before that holiday break. In oh, December. wow. Okay. And most students, or a whole lot of students these days, apply to one at least, but usually multiple schools early yep. if they're ready. They don't have to, but that's yep. the trend that we're seeing. And then the regular decision deadlines tend to be January, February, March. Okay. So someone could maybe know that they're admitted to two schools before that December break, but still continue to apply to a few others. But then it all, so then it all wraps up that by late March, early April, you should have all the information in front of you as far as where you've been accepted, what aid has been offered so that you have plenty of time to spend some time with those aid offers before you make a decision. And that is a really critical time because aid offers can be all over the map and they can, not only can they have different amounts of financial aid, but they can just look different. And sometimes it's hard to see, okay, this is a grant and this is a loan and let me see the total costs and what's the best. So it's really good to make sure you spend some time those award letters and make sure you understand, okay, if we, if you choose this college, this is someone that's going to cost. And MIFA does have a, it's called the college cost calculator where you can take five awards, type in all the information, see what the bottom line is, see that you're comparing apples to apples. That's on our website. Okay. All right. Yeah. I guess I was one thing. Is it, I guess my question is, is it, my, my guess is that it's not all that predictable where you would apply to this college and you would be able to say, well, here's what I think is going to happen. Right. I know that colleges are working on, they, they have, it's not just, this is the grades of this person. And so, you know, this, this generic kid is going to be given X, Y, with this income is going to be given X, Y, Z, right? I know that they have, but they're working on probably like diversity targets, right? So I assume you it's it's actually not that predictable. When you get these letters, you might be surprised at, oh, this college is going to give me this much money in addition to the you know, financial aid, and this is going to be the structure. Is that accurate or am I just guessing here? It is accurate. It's funny. You touch upon a really important point because you can do all this planning, yeah. run these calculators. You can attend lots of, when you visit these colleges, you can attend presentations. You can have a sense, a pretty good sense of, okay, we'll probably get some financial aid here. But you're right. And that's hard when I'm talking with families and trying to help them plan that I many times end up saying, until you actually have those award offers in front of you, it's hard to fully plan. Yeah. Okay. Because it is all speculation until you have that aid offer in front of you. Yeah. Okay. I do want to make sure we, before we get to student loans, I did want to make the, um, the financial aid calculations, I think outside of them, obviously like, colleges have their merit and they have, for whatever reason, they may give money for other stuff, but the 
financial aid calculation that comes through is relatively predictable, right? I mean, there, it's a, there's your EFC, your expected family contribution. Can we at least just touch briefly on that to give people window into so, how some of those decisions are made? Yes, absolutely. And you're right. This is a great planning piece. Yes. So from the information you put on the financial aid forms, and let's just take the FAFSA especially, because that will tell you what your EFC is. When you submit that, you'll receive an, it's called the student aid report back that says, thank you. We've processed your FAFSA. We've sent it to these schools. And it will say, and here's your expected family contribution. And there'll be a number there. And what that is, and it's always going to feel too high. That's what I'm just going to say. Up front. <laughs> it's yeah, always I'm sure it will. Yeah. Unless it's zero. It can be zero, but unless it is, okay. it's going to feel too high. <laughs> but that number is a number that it's more like an index, but just saying this is what we feel that you and we, who's we, I don't know, it's right. just the system, the financial aid system, <laughs> feel that you as a family can contribute to college costs before financial aid kicks in to help. Yep. So let's say that number for you is $20,000, EFC, $20,000. What does that mean? That means if your son or daughter is applying to a college that costs $50,000, that 50 minus 20, your expected family contribution is 30. So really your eligibility for financial aid could be $30,000 in that case. Right. But same family, your son or daughter applies to a college that's going to cost $20,000, then $20,000 minus $20,000 is zero. So you wouldn't have eligibility for aid. Your eligibility for aid is based on both the cost of the institution, and that's the full cost, tuition, room and board, books, minus what your EFC number is. So if you do file the FAFSA and it comes back and your EFC is $80,000, then you do have a sense of, okay, I'm, our family is probably not going to be eligible for need-based aid at any of these colleges because 80 is That's a high a number. Yeah. But if it's anywhere below that, then you may have some eligibility at some colleges and especially the more expensive ones. Yeah. And just to, I don't think we want to go, obviously we won't go through all the details, but that EFC, that calculation is based on, we had touched on earlier, you had mentioned the the five, the 529, you're expected 5.6% of that value will go into your EFC, right? So that calculation is based on assets and in, assets in different places, right? So if the, if your kid has a bunch of money in a UTMA account, They'll say they have one percentage for that, right? Let's say it's 20 or let's, I don't know, is it 20, is it 20 or 25? 20 and 25, depending on the form. Yeah. Depending on the form. Okay. Yeah. Maybe 20, if they have a hundred thousand dollars in a UTMA account, the formula will say, okay, we'll expect, we'll say it's $20,000 from here. If they have a hundred thousand in a 529, we expect $5,600 from there. And then there's more based on current income, correct? So it's like an income and assets based formula And that's why you're going to get different numbers with different students. Is that pretty accurate? And here's the point that just is the other side of that coin of the assets being treated very reasonably. Your income is not treated very reasonably. So (laughs) it's very much driven by your income, by your AGI. And that's why that EFC always feels high, because there is this expectation that, yeah, that we end up paying a lot out of our income and especially 
more percentage wise more with higher levels of income which makes it which makes obvious very intuitive sense right if someone's income is fifty thousand dollars a year there probably isn't a lot of room for college payment versus someone who's making 250 it just exactly. makes perfect sense but yeah i just want to make sure that yeah that's so the and you can you can probably i'm sure you can look up the formula i know you can go online and they have efc calculators right so you probably could get a very good idea where you stand even before you go through the application process and say, okay, for my, for planning purposes, my EFC is going to be $50,000. So I need to factor that in because maybe I don't really have that $50,000, right? That's the rub. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, you're exactly right. yeah. perfect. That's exactly how to use yeah. that. <laughs> that doesn't mean you have extra an extra 50 grand laying around. It's just what they expect you to pay. Okay. Yeah. So I, okay, I want to make sure we did cover that because I know that. I know that you probably don't get into, so you certainly can strategize in advance. And I think a little bit as you get closer to college with regard to where your money is sitting, is there anything that you want to say? I don't want to get into a, a whole discussion of like putting money in annuities and all that stuff, but is there something generic that you could say about, hey, if you had a choice to structure your assets, let's just say someone is a few years away from potentially, is there anything that they might do as far as trying to make sure that they qualify for as much aid as they can? Yeah. And the first thing I guess I'll say is when I that's the bad news when I say that AGI income is such a key yeah. figure in this. And for many people, that is what it is. And there's not so much that you can do with that. Right. So keeping that in mind, because I know people always ask this question and hope that there's more that they can do. But other than that, I will tell you retirement, your retirement accounts are not counted in these formulas. So that's always a good thing. And I know you must, <laughs> I'm sure you tell people that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's good to know that your retirement accounts are not counted in these formulas for financial aid. And then the other piece to know is that difference between how parent assets versus student assets are treated. That's helpful to know when you're thinking and planning. Yep. Other than that, the only other thing I would say is that one more thing I'll say is it's good to know the tax year of the income that's going to be counted. So, okay. for example, right now, it's 2022. Families applying for financial aid right now, fall of 2022, because they're expecting their student to go to college in 23, 24. The tax information they're using is from 2021. Okay. So that's just good to know. And that's how that works. It's the, when the fall of senior year, it's the tax return that's already completed. That's the one you're going to be using. Okay. Uh, so that's helpful. Just if a family does have a way of sharing that, <laughs> that bottom line income. Yeah. This, yeah. No, certainly. Yeah. No, most people can't do it, but there are certainly exactly. folks who can. Exactly. Yeah, so small business owners or people who have control over income or control over expenses in a certain case. So again, that's that directed to a very small subset of the right. population, but it's certainly right. something that you can plan in advance. Okay. Yeah. But, and again, I don't, I know that there are ways to, when I normally have that planning for financial aid discussion, a lot of times it's, you could say, well, you may have your financial advisors told you to have that emergency reserves account. So you have that $50,000 in the bank. You would be better off if you're looking for financial aid, if you put that whole $50,000 against your mortgage, right? If, especially if you're in the FAFSA, right? And they're not looking at home equity. Yes, you could absolutely do that. You would have to figure out, is that worth it to you to, because you have to make the $50,000 go away and maybe you're, maybe that still works for you. And maybe that is, you can certainly 
work around the edges, I think. But as far as major planning, where all of a sudden don't get any financial aid, but I'm just going to do this few things and all of a sudden I'm qualifying for a ton. It's really, I would say there's limited planning opportunities late in the game. And, but that doesn't mean there are none. And for folks who are looking to, looking for every dime, it's certainly appropriate to look at, but it's not like, there's no magic, I guess, at the end of the day is, okay, saying that. (laughs) No, you are. I think that's really where you come in to, to yeah. people's lives in that one other thing I say to people is you want to make sure you're making financial decisions overall that are good for your whole picture. And that's, right. what you know, versus making a decision because you heard from your neighbor's cousin <laughs> about <laughs> yeah. something yeah. about financial aid that yeah. may or may not be true. Yeah. Don't be making decisions because you think you're going to get more financial aid because of something you heard. Really try to, you know, make good decisions overall based on, you know, your type of what you would work with them on, Justin. (laughs) And I I know we're about to transition into loans as well here. I would tell, I also tell folks fairly regularly that most financial aid is loans. I don't know if you have the, if you have numbers or percentages, but even when you qualify for financial aid, right, in air quotes, it's a lot of that financial aid is stuff you're going to be paying back. So it's not, it may be great if you get lots of financial aid and maybe it's better than the alternative, but if it's if you're going to be paying it one way or the other, maybe it's probably better to have fewer loans than more. And so I'll let you react to that because I think I have that about right where most aid is loans that you eventually are going to end up paying back anyway. Yeah. And it I guess it depends if you really qualify for a lot of financial aid, you could receive a lot of grant and yeah. scholarship. So maybe the way I'd modify that slightly is just to say most students are going to have loans offered in the financial okay package. almost all in fact right yeah so that's yes so that loans are definitely a part okay it's hard to get away from loans being a part of the financial aid and the one that's really in there the main loan which truly is the best one is the federal direct loan and okay. that's, that's one that you're going to see across the board in all of these packages. And I don't know if we should start talking about that now or. I think, yeah, we only have about, I would say, eight or nine minutes left. So I think we probably we just certainly yeah. want to cover some loans here. So let's move into that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one that the reasons I say it's the best loan are it's a loan that's in the student's name and in the student's name with no credit check done. It's okay. just offered to the student with the idea that they're going to go to college, get a job, pay it back. So that's great. In the student's name, no credit check done to offer the loan. And then part of it can be subsidized right. if the family qualifies on the basis of the FAFSA and financial need. So part of it could be subsidized, meaning the government will pay the interest while the student is in college. But either way, whether it's subsidized or not, or all of it or some of it is, it's still the same loan with a low fixed interest rate. And the student doesn't have to start repaying until six months after graduation. Okay. So all those things make it great. And the other thing that makes it great, I say great where it's relative here, is that it does have a variety of ways to repay. And then we'll get into the news and what's happening now, but just in general, officially, then for repayment, the student has a lot of choices for repayment. A student who graduates taking the maximum loan of this federal direct student loan as an undergrad four years would graduate with about $27,000 of debt. And that would be about a $300 payment over 10 years under a regular repayment plan. But students can choose an income-based repayment plan, which 
today would mean they could pay 10% of their income and stretch that out a little further. So there just are a lot of benefits like that to this one loan. The issue is that sometimes that loan isn't enough to cover some of these high cost. Yeah, I was going to say it's, yeah, because I think, what is it, five or 6,000 per year is yes. the limit. And I, it changes year to year. I, and I forget the exact five, amount. 65, 75. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's not going to, if you, if that's all you came out of school with, that's fantastic. But unfortunately for a lot of kids, there is, yeah, they get that loan. And then if your EFC was $20,000, but the school came in at 60, you're probably not just coming out with that loan. So yeah, what happens after the, and I know, I don't know. I assume you don't want to. You simplified, which was great, the many repayment options on the federal student loans. I, I once, I can recall distinctly going to a seminar where somebody went through every single income-based repayment plan. And I said, wow, that is complicated, right? Because there were, I think, I don't know, there were probably 10 at the time. I think it's simpler now where, and it's, there are, there, there have been ones that are more popular. And so it gets, <laughs> it's not quite as overwhelming now as it was maybe five years ago, but there's certainly options there as well when it comes to repayment. And good news is that you can wait until after college to to opt into that. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. All I'll say, because there's so much happening right now with the student loan forgiveness yeah. and improvements to the public service loan forgiveness program, which is great. So right. all I'll say, because I think we just don't have time to delve too deeply into it at this moment, is that these repayment plan choices are going to get better in the future. So that's a good thing. And that if someone does public service, that plan has, is it, it's all going to work a little bit better going forward. And studentaid.gov is just a great website where if you have loans, go in there and, um, and keep track of all that. Because the other two things that are happening right now is people with past loans may be eligible for some loan forgiveness. Yep. So go into that website and, the second thing being that for any loans that your payment has been paused during COVID, and if they're not forgiven, you will have to start repaying at the beginning of the year in January. I guess just a quick notice out to people to, yeah, pay attention to your what you have in your student <laughs> loans. Go to studentaid.gov yeah. and stay on top of it so that you can take advantage of all of these things and be prepared for everything. Now, is the income-based repayment the only loan that applies to is that federal student loan? Yeah. Okay. Again, for most, for I would say for I'll generalize and maybe it's I don't know what the percentages are, but for lots and lots of kids out there, they have their federal student loan and then they have other. And so is it is the federal out at like twenty seven thousand dollars and then you're into a mishmash of you're talking to MIFA in the school and maybe private student loans. Why don't you give us a little bit of information on how the world looks after you get yes. past that fifty five or sixty five hundred dollar loan from the from the feds? Yeah. So then at that point, you would want to do what you would do in any instance when you're getting a mortgage, when you're getting a car loan. You would want to make sure that you find the best private educational loan to make up that difference. And there's a federal plus loan that the college will tell you about. MIFA, I always have to mention MIFA because we do have we have great loan rates, terms. So you would want to look at MIFA. And then you would want to look at if you work with your own bank. Does your own bank have an educational loan? The colleges will sometimes let you know, here are some loans that our students have borrowed. And now there are some loan, what do I want to call them? Ways that you can go in and say, I'm looking for this 
loan, there's a, an organ, a credible is one that I know okay. about online where you can say, I'm looking for this type of a loan and it will like give a, you options. like a loan marketplace kind of a loan a thing? marketplace. Okay. So then clearly at, as a family, you just want to choose a loan that has a, a good interest rate and terms that work for you. So that's a whole part of the process, but in, a really important one. Okay. Yeah. And I do just want to make sure that folks, because you can, loans can obviously be refinanced. One of the, one of the things that I do want to, the federal student loan program, you certainly can refinance it, but I would, I just want to watch, I would be careful refinancing that because I think the federal program certainly has benefits over and above a private, right? If you refi out your private student, your federal loan into your local bank, you are going to certainly lose some of the benefits that come along with that federal program with the income-based repayment. Again, it might be worth it for you, right? There are certainly folks who are in a situation where, hey, I can get a better interest rate over here and I'm not going to have an issue paying back my loans because, you know, financially I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm not saying you, sh- you ought not do that, but that's just one something that I want to put out there that it's not just a it's not always just what's the best interest rate. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Yes. Okay. Is there anything you want to say to wrap up? We only have about about a minute left here. I guess I would say I'll try to summarize. Start early, and and you won't regret saving. I guess that's the. <laughs> if there was a big takeaway from this from this show. It's in no amount is too little to get to save for college because and again, as we talked about, it's fairly expensive out there. So again, I want to thank you for being here, Julie. It's Julie Shields Rutina from MIFA. Website is mifa.org. If you are looking for more information, thanks for being here. This is my name is. Justin McNamara. And if you have any questions, which I can forward on to Julie, you can shoot us an email, questions at McNamaraonmoney.com. And that will do us for us. Thanks, Julie. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Take care.